Thank you for listening to Room 9, my daddy's podcast. Hope you enjoy. If you would like to help Room 9, please visit their support page. You can listen to Room 9 on your favorite podcast listening platform. Don't forget to visit our Instagram and Facebook page. Please like it. Room 9, if you better yourself, you better the world. Wait a minute. You're showing a cover. Oh, you better believe that. How you gonna know? Think about that one. You're showing a cover. That's the whole thing. That's what separates us. Yeah, things have changed. It's ridiculous. <laughs> people i am here for i believe this is going to be the third solo episode of room nine and i wanted to do this episode because well, i'm thinking about well i'm pretty sure anyway i'm going to end up putting the solo episodes to just the patreons at patreon.com so if you'd like to if you like this episode and you want to continue to hear them i will lead you to patreon.com the room nine podcast page you can find links for that on our website at room nine podcast.com and you can also find that on our Facebook page. Everything has a link to Patreon. The way Patreon works is you sign up and you give a certain amount of monthly, whether it's $6, $2, $12. I think there's a $20 one and you get some things in return and it's a monthly thing and you're going to get access to bonus episodes and everything else. What I really want to do is I feel like I'm taking all my energy and spreading it around and... I feel like I need to narrow it down to three different things. And what that's going to be is LinkedIn, Facebook, and Patreon. And I feel like if I take all the energy I'm putting into other things and put it all into these things, it's going to be more productive and I'm going to be able to reach and get in touch with more people. I wanted to do this solo episode mainly because, I don't know, I'm just, and I think this is in every aspect of life, that no matter where you go, everybody just has this idea of this is how it's done and this is the only way it's done and I'm just tired of hearing that not only in the world of substance use and mental health but just everything whether it's dieting whether it's exercising whether it's your your faith whether it's your spiritual journey whether it just doesn't matter what it is everybody thinks they have the answer as if life is this simple and life is not this simple I hate to break it to you if you guys haven't figured it out already Life is not that simple. And the more time I spend on social media and the more time I spend working and cooperatively working with treatment providers and everything else, I just realize that so many people just think they have the answers to what this is and that the way that they were successful is the way for everybody else. And they all have this idea of, oh, it's this and this and just it's not black and white like that. And I'm just tired of hearing it. Like everybody just so matter of factly knows exactly how to do something. 
and what the answer is for everybody else. So that's kind of what this is, really. It's probably just more of a venue for me to rant. But, um, you know, there's obviously some structure to all of this, and I want to kind of, you know, spread that, that around with people because I think it it deserves to be talked about. And even the whole aspect of, is addiction a disease? And I'm just going to use the word addiction so I don't have to say substance use disorder 5,000 times. I get that's kind of a term that we want to get rid of and everything else, but I'm just going to use the word addiction. So my language people who are listening to this, just forgive me and give me a pass for this episode. But anyway, I get why we call substance use disorder disease. I really do. And I think it's very important that we do in a lot of different ways. And I think those ways, as far as concerning why it should be medicalized, is because it takes it out of the criminal justice system. It provides so much more room for funding. I mean, I just, I firmly believe locking somebody up because of something they did to fulfill addiction is stupid and counterproductive. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't help anybody. It's not teaching you anything. It takes a very special mind to be in jail and a very self-aware mind to be in jail and figure out what they need to figure out. And I've come across people who have been able to do it. I, for one, was able to do a lot of work while I was in jail, but it just it takes a special person to be able to do that. A specific mind, I guess special isn't really the correct word for it, as if that makes those people better than other people. It doesn't, obviously. But it's just different environments. We all respond differently. And I think the majority of people who are struggling with addiction are not able to do much of any change in a prison cell or in a jail cell. So the first kind of piece I want to touch on is the whole argument about whether addiction is a disease or not. Because this one is is just, it's aggravating in a lot of sense that it's a waste of time, I feel, to be sitting here arguing about whether it's a disease or not. I get there's pros and cons to it. I have seen different people react to a disease model in a positive way and different people react to it more in a negative way. In the negative sense, I I feel like some people can play this victim. They can cry victim mentality and keep using the disease model as an excuse. I can't help it. I can't help it. I've seen that. I've seen people do that a lot. But I've also seen it go the other way where people are able to be like, wow, this isn't just me being a shitty person. This isn't about me not having enough self-control. There's more going on here. And there is. There is more going on self-control because I'll tell you what right now, Even with me, I remember so often, and you've probably heard me talk about this on the show so often, the time when I was walking, I was getting sick, having withdrawals, and I was walking down to my girlfriend's house crying because I knew what I was going to do is wrong. It's going to hurt her. It's going to hurt her kids. It's going to hurt everybody. And I knew I shouldn't be doing it, but I was getting so sick and I felt so shitty. It was this battle in my head of do it, don't do it, do it, don't do it, constantly. I was crying because I didn't want to do it, but yet I had this thing that was pulling me. And I kind of often describe addiction almost, it's like this relationship. I always think of the villain from Spider-Man, Venom, where he has this alien form in him, and it's like these voices in his head, and they're arguing with him and getting him to do things that he doesn't want to do. And this is what I addiction reminds me of, because there's literally... It's like two different people in your head. I don't want to do this anymore. I can't keep hurting the people who love me, who I love. But yet, I'm going to do this. I need this drug. I can't function. How am I going to live without it? I'll never get through the withdrawals. I'll never be able to do it without this drug. And those two voices are constantly, constantly 
going at it and having conversations in your head. And you're almost so often than not till you find the different techniques and different ways to stop listening to that voice. It is so difficult to, to do that. Now, obviously, getting back to this whole disease model, I mean, I, I agree with it in a lot of ways. I think it's awesome. I think it's done so much for the community. I think the problem comes when you only look at it as a disease and nothing else. Because taking this reductionist approach to anything in life, anything, dieting, whatever it is, taking this, this is the only thing, this is the only way approach is never going to work. It's just a, it's an oversimplification and it can, it can foster victim narrative. It really can. I've seen it happen over and over again. And I think it could also, again, brings you into this realm of how we treat it and we're only going to treat it in one way. And I think we need to get away from that because cognitive behavioral therapy isn't the answer for everyone. But just like 12-step programs like AA and NA, those are not the answer for everyone. And I, I agree a lot with people like Dr. Gabor Mate and Johan Hari when they talk about it being a lack of connection, addiction being an escapism from pain and sorrow and trauma. And I agree so much with that. I have honestly yet to come across a person who isn't escaping their reality with drugs because of pain and trauma. And a lot of times we don't even know, people don't even know what the pain and trauma is. And even to get to that is a huge step. But the first part is, is how do we get, how do we stop using the drug? Thinking of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If you don't take care of this first step, so in his hierarchy, if you don't have shelter and you don't have food and clothing and water, you're not going to be worrying about your mental state and your spiritual life. You're not going to be working on that while you're, homeless, cold, and starving. If you are starving, you're only looking for food and that's it. And drug is like a food. At least we feel like it is when you are in the middle of an addiction. You're going to take that over any kind of food, literally. I went a week without eating sometimes, a bag of Cheetos or something. So yes, we have to stop. How do we stop using the drug itself? But then we have to get into the reasons why we were using it. And there's so many different things, self-loathing, painful memories. Some people just have this existential crisis of lostness. Some people, you know, I've come across some people who maybe should have just had a better prescription for their anxiety or for their depression. And there's so many different reasons to this. We have to focus on that part first. Stop using the drug. And then you get into why are we using it? So is ad addiction a disease or not? I'm just tired of the argument. There are aspects of it that are very, very much like a disease, yes. And everybody has statistics to shout out. Everybody has their own, in quotes, proof to show that it is or is not a disease, blah, 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 blah. Treating it like a disease, whether it is or not, there's a lot of benefits to it. And I think those benefits outweigh the negatives of it. I really do. I think they're there, and I think they're in place, and I think it's, it's awesome what is going on. But the argument that is continuous is I feel almost like a waste of time. I feel like there cannot be an argument to say it's better to keep it in the, the criminal justice system. I mean, nobody in their right mind who has ever been addicted, who has had a loved one that is addicted, would say locking them up in jail is the best thing and the easiest way to do it. Because if you believe that, then it's blind. And then using the whole statistics thing drives me nuts because... There is a good number of people who realize they have an issue on their own and they stop it. 
there's a good amount of people who, oh, shit, my wife is getting really pissed off that I am out partying four or five nights a week. I better stop doing this and work on this before I ruin my relationship with her and I lose her and we get a divorce and then I don't get to see my kids that much and blah, blah, blah. There are some people who can figure that out. And those people you never hear from. They never see a doctor. They never see a counselor. They never register with treatment providers. You don't ever hear from those people. Statistics are such a weird thing, especially in the world of substance use disorder. It's extremely weird, extremely difficult to get accurate numbers. You have no idea how many people are really suffering or how many people have gotten clean on their own. What we do have statistics are of the people who go in to treatment providers, who go in or get arrested who come out of jail and do things as far as medical assisted treatment, as far as going to outpatients and everything else. So the throwing statistics around to me sometimes is just somebody saying nonsense, and it is what it is. I get why we have statistics. It's good to know how many people are using treatment providers. It's good to know what works for these people who are going into treatment providers and what doesn't work. So they're good. They're good to have, but to use them as factual proof, I think, can be very, very hard to do with 100% accuracy. So when it comes to calling addiction a disease, I think that's great. I really do. I think it's something that can help people. I think medicalizing it is something that can provide awesome treatments, can, you know, medical assisted treatment. I hear so many people, once again, whether it's on social media, whether it's out in why I'm out and about in society, talk about medical assisted treatment not working and it just causes people to abuse more things. But it's just, it's that's not a fact. Not everybody who's on a medical assisted treatment is abusing their prescriptions. I've seen it save so many people's lives. And without getting too far into harm reduction, I think it's a beautiful thing to help with harm reduction. I mean, some people for quite some time after they stop using even taking Suboxone helps them because they still feel like they're taking something. And then why they're just taking one film a day and they're following their doctor's orders on how to take this medicine, it helps them to work on other things of their lives. And this is where it becomes an issue. Medical assisted treatment is when you're not working on anything else and you're just taking something and you're not working on any other parts of what you need to change in the first place. So as I just talked about, being on medical assisted treatment is something that can help somebody just stop running after their drug and ruining their lives. And that gives them time to work on themselves. All right, what is it in me that I need to fix? What is it in me that I was running from to escape my reality and to escape life? I mean, the only time just focusing in on the medical side of addiction works is if somebody just needed to take Suboxone to stop using, and I've never seen that in a case. I've never seen somebody who goes into treatment, gets prescribed Suboxone, doesn't work on anything else in themselves, and they succeed. I've never seen that. You have to be doing other things in your life along with medical-assisted treatment, and that is something I'm going to touch further base on later on in this episode. You know, Dr. Sally Sattel talked about one time I heard her in I think it might have been another podcast she was a guest on, and she said, if a sheriff asked me if addiction was a disease, I would say absolutely, 100%, no doubt, it is a disease. But when a nurse asks me this, it becomes more of a difficult question to answer because, once again, we cannot take a reductionist approach to it and just say, yes, it's a disease, and that's it. 
because then that just means we're going to treat it like any other disease and it's not going to work out because just handing somebody, once again, something to stop their cravings or an opiate blocker isn't going to just fix all the problems. There's going to be a point where that's not going to be enough. And Dr. Sattel goes on to talk about just saying, and it kind of brings me to the next point, addiction is a disease like no other. There is nothing out there. We, you hear the comparisons, well, a diabetic this or a cancer patient this. I think it's important, again, in different aspects to compare it to other diseases because, you know, no diabetic or no cancer patient ever goes into a support group and says, hi, my name's Sean and I'm cancer. We don't do that. I think it's very important that we stop identifying ourselves as our disease, as our addiction, as our flaws. We don't do this with anything else. And I think that's an awesome thing to take away from the disease model of addiction, that we're not going to walk around identifying as being an addict our whole lives. I don't think that's beneficial. In the beginning, for me, that was super beneficial. I think it's awesome to admit you have this going on, and now I want to face it and take care of it. That's awesome, because that's the first step to changing and working on anything is to say it out loud and talk about it. Because so much of our lives, especially in an addict's world, in the world of addiction, in the world of substance use, we just deny it to the death. We deny it. Nope, I'm fine. I got no problems. I got no issues going on. I'm good. And we do this constantly. So saying it at first is an awesome thing. But I think there's a point where it comes to that that is too much, that now we're just holding on to it as if we don't want to let it go anymore. So yeah, addiction is most certainly a disease like no other. But so is cancer, so is diabetes. All these things are not treated the exact same way. And I think this is a very key thing to remember. You can take some similarities away from other diseases, but no disease is like another disease. I think addiction and substance use is even more unlike any other disease because of all the other different aspects that are played into it. I mean, nobody gets cancer because their parents died when they were younger. Nobody gets cancer because they didn't have a dad and their mom was physically abusive to them when they were younger. Nobody gets diabetes because their brother and sister died when they were a teenager in high school. This is why I think it becomes very shady and very weird. Majority of people who are using substances to escape and numb are doing that because something painful happened. This disease came on them because of something painful, because of a traumatic experience, because of a lack of emptiness, a lack of feeling any meaning in the universe, a lack of feeling any connection in the universe. And what I'm going to get into once again at the end of this episode is the fact that people are doing all over the world are doing things because of lack of connection, because of trauma, because of a lack of meaning and purpose in their lives. Some people just aren't using drugs for that. So many people are using Netflix. So many people are using shopping. So many people use exercise as a way to escape this. Oh, I'm stressed out. I'm thinking about this traumatic experience. I'm going to go for a run. I'm going to go lift weights. Oh, I'm stressed out. I'm going to go eat a cheeseburger. Oh, I'm thinking about all the messed up things that happened to me when I was a kid. Oh, I'm going to go online and buy some new clothes. Oh, I'm going to go play music. I used music as an escape for so friggin' long, well before I was using drugs as an escape. Everywhere I went, I had to have music going constantly because I didn't want to be alone in my head. I didn't want to face the fact that I hated myself and I didn't like myself. So I'm going to always have music on so I don't have to be alone with that voice in my head that's telling me I'm not good enough. We all do this. 
we've all done it and so many people are doing it. And actually the most people who do it, who aren't using drugs to do it are the ones who are the most judgmental against the people who are using drugs to do it. So I really believe the answer to all of this is not one I can actually give you or we can actually give anybody because like everything else in life, it's something we have to approach and figure out on our own. You can read all the books, you can listen to all the podcasts, you can do whatever it is you think you're going to do, but knowing something intellectually does not imply application. I'm going to say that again. Knowing something intellectually does not allow you to apply anything. I've read books on psychology, philosophy, theologies every day of my life for a good chunk of years and still ended up falling to a heroin use disorder. Still ended up almost ruining my entire existence because of a drug because I did not want to face anything and I had no application in my life. And I wish I could like tell somebody this is how you apply all these things that are going to change your life for the better. But unfortunately, that's not the way it works. And you've seen this for thousands and thousands of years when Zen masters and gurus have taken their students and their their followers who are trying to learn from them. And they what they have to do specifically is get you to come back to the answer for you because you have all your answers. Nobody else has answers for you. All somebody can do and what I'm trying to do is help people find their own answers inside themselves because that's the only way anybody's ever going to really change and this is why you can't force somebody to change who doesn't want to change because you don't know what their answers are only they can find them only they can get to them only they can access them and this is something we need to always remember when we try to shove oh AA is the only way that works NA is the only way that works cognitive behavioral therapy is the only way that works because it worked for me, so it's got to work for everybody else. We have to be hyper aware of this. I mean, each individual has their own answers. And I just had a, I had a post earlier that kind of discussed this on social media. And it talked about, you know, authenticity and how we have to get to this point of authenticity in order to really kind of get any change. We have to learn how to be honest with ourselves. We have to learn how to trust that authentic voice in us that is guiding us. To where we should be. And this is such an important part of our journey in life. And this part of this episode is what really can be applied to anybody's life, whether you're struggling with drugs or not. Because as I've mentioned, we are all doing this and we've all done it in some way, shape, or form. Majority of people are not working on anything in themselves. And they get up and they go to work Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, clock in, clock out, get home, cook dinner, sit in front of the TV, and do it all over again and wonder why they're feeling no sense of meaning and purpose and connection in their life. And they'll escape some way, shape, or form, and somehow throughout the week when they're feeling this angst and this push to do something, to change something, to be a better person. And being in the Oxford house and just still staying and trying to make a living in this community of people who are struggling with substance use and who are struggling with mental health and when they try to absolutely change no other behaviors and want answers given to them it's constant failure over and over again people are failing at this and I think this is a big reason why I mean if you are feeling that that emptiness that void of what am I doing here and whether you're using drugs to escape or whether you're using the internet to escape or shopping or eating or Netflix, whatever it is, we have to start working on ourselves. 
We have to start being more honest. We have to start being more authentic. And when you truly want to start doing this, you start seeing things come together. Your whole perspective starts changing. Like Self-help is not only key in recovery from addiction or from substance use or from mental health. It is key to life and personal development, period. You cannot just stop doing an action and expect your life to get better. You have to work on yourself. We have to learn, how do I stop lying? How do I stop worrying about what other people think of me? I mean, this list is overwhelming. This list is overwhelming of the things we all need to work on as an individual. I've always talked about having those like two voices in my head, and there's the voice that says something and the voice that judges things. And what I find out sometimes is these voices are arguing about something because lots of times we just lie about stupid things. Sometimes we lie to somebody about a movie. Oh, yeah, I love that movie, and you hated it. Like, why are we doing this? And these are the things we need to become aware of. These are the things we have to, to work on. The little lies, the little deceitful things, the selfish things that we are doing. Like, if we're not working and changing on any of these, nothing else is going to change. So the word authentic it's a combination of Latin and Greek words, meaning coming from the author and one who acts independently. In this one book I started reading recently called Rewired, the author, she ends up saying, well, I interpret this as you are the author of your life, and it also means of undisputed origin and accurate, trustworthy, reliable. So when your authentic voice can be trusted, there is no need to look elsewhere for guidance. And I touched on this earlier. No guru, therapist, teacher, best-selling writer, no podcaster can give you better answers than the ones you find within yourself. So if you work on this authentic voice in your head and learn to trust it and learn to let it guide you, there's nothing ever that can give you answers. You can learn things intellectually from books. You can learn things intellectually from podcasts and lectures, but you're never going to learn application until you learn to find and trust this authentic voice in your head. And I've always said this, I think the reason why relapse rates are so high, why people continue to relapse is because of a lack of self-awareness. And when I see somebody who goes through rehab 15 times, I believe it took them 15 times to unmask something each time. And then finally, okay, now I'm aware of this, 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 and that. Those things I have to avoid, these things I cannot do. Now I'm becoming more self-aware. And I think this is so important to get to the self-awareness. And the reason why you can't just learn things intellectually and just be done and be better is because of what I talked about in the very beginning of this podcast is we're all so completely different. We all are receptive to different things. We all like different things. We all do different things. And as much as we are such alike in a physiological sense, when it comes to our mental and spiritual makeup, we are so different because we've had so many different experiences and it's so hard to write something that's going to be able to change somebody's life. It's going to get them to wake up. And this is why I say these things are for a guide to get you to find tricks and different ways to become more self-aware of who you are as an individual. And because no two people will ever think or feel or live exactly alike, the authentic voice that you can come to know will always be more accurate than and more informed to your situation than any cookie-cutter recovery program. Recovery from substance use or from anything we want to change in our lives, it's an adventure of just deep self-exploration. It's a journey to the core of who you are, to your beauty, to your 
existence to why you're here to everything that makes you awesome as an individual. Because every individual who listens to this, every person in this world that you walk by, no matter the stupid effed up things that they do or have done, does not take away from their beauty as an individual, as a human being. Recently, you know, once or twice a week, I'll play this video game for my fun. And I got matched up online with this guy from Japan. And I've developed this almost friendship with this guy. And it's been really awesome to see because I never expected this from just dumbing myself down by playing a video game. And I ended up just having a conversation with him for two hours the one night. And I can just tell by talking to this, this dude's been through hell. Is really, he's been through so much shit. I can hear it in his voice. I can see it on his face when I would, when I Skyped with him or video messaged them. But he's a really, he's an awesome dude. I really enjoy talking with him and it's so awesome to see and it's awesome to experience and it's really cool. But what I see in so many just people in general is this mask we have to put on for everybody to hide our pain, to hide our struggles, to hide everything of who we are. What I've really have learned over the last couple of years here, 18 months, 19 months, is that all those things that we try to hide, that we try to tough out through, that we have to be, in quotes, we have to be strong and we can get through this. All those pains and all those mishaps and all those flaws and all those blemishes are what makes us so beautiful, what makes us so human, what makes us so alive and what makes life worth living for. And my point of view now is, I look at that as why are we hiding these things? Because in order to truly feel love, in order to truly feel a connection, we have to have this mask off. Wearing this mask is going to block all of those beautiful things. And in order to feel those beautiful things, we simultaneously have to be showing our weaknesses and our mistakes and our pain and our trauma and I'm not saying we have to go out and tell everybody we come across all these things in fact I could probably weird a bunch of people out that you don't know but we have to have these people we can talk to about these things we have to stop putting the show on like we have to be the man or the woman who can take on everything and carry everything and never show any weakness we have to stop playing this game so really, just like ask yourself every day in order to work on authenticity. Ask yourself, what areas of my life do I lack authenticity? In what ways am I just a people pleaser? In what circumstances have I ignored my inner voice? Why have I ignored my inner voice? What are the consequences of ignoring my inner voice? Ask yourself, what masks do you wear? Find the people who support who you are and all your weaknesses and cultivate those relationships. And reward yourself for doing these things, too. As you're working on your individual, as you're struggling, it becomes tiresome. And take a break. Play a video game. Go to the mall. Watch Netflix. But it's when we're doing these things constantly for escaping the reality of who we really are and what has happened to us and escaping our experiences, that's when it becomes burdensome. That's when it becomes inauthentic. And to kind of wrap up, I want to just talk about a little bit more about this, this growth, this, you know, this evolution that we have to continuously go through. And there's a quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson that says, unless you try to do something beyond what you have already mastered or what you have already done, you will never grow. So that means if you are 
not trying to constantly be introspective, not trying to constantly, and I don't want to say constantly like every second day, like I said, it's good to take a break, but if you're not trying to improve yourself, nothing's going to change in your life. So we need to stop watching the news all the time and stop worrying about what everybody else needs to change. And we need to take that energy and point it to us, to point it to ourselves. What do I need to work on? If something somebody is doing is pissing you off or bothering you, ask yourself, what is it in me that I need to work on to not let this bother me anymore? Because you have no control over anything else except yourself. I posted a quote not too long ago. Consider how difficult it is to change something in yourself and then multiply that by like 100 million because that's how much more difficult it is to change somebody else. It's a waste of time to try to change what somebody else does. And if I learned anything from Carl Jung, when somebody is doing something that's bothering you, that is a beautiful, clear sign that something in you needs to change. And this obviously does not mean, oh, I'm just going to let people walk all over me and be a doormat. Because if you're doing that, that's a sign that you need to change something. I remember when I was working on my passive aggression quite a few years ago, my buddy ended up telling me, bro, you need to chill out because I became so extremely aggressive to try to outweigh that passive aggression and it didn't work. It doesn't, it's not what really needs to happen. You have to bring this voice in, this thing inside of you, whatever you want to call it, and you have to learn, okay, when do I stick up and say, hey, you're not treating me like this. Hey, this is your fault and you really need to change it. And we have to learn. That's all part of the learning process of when we do that. Because taking passivity and making it aggression isn't the answer to every situation. Sometimes you need to show some passivity. Other times you need to show aggression. This is why this becomes so difficult because you can take that one example of passivity and aggression and that's with everything else. There's times where you need to be extroverted, times where you need to be introverted. There's so many times when you have to find the balance in everything. And it's funny because when I was in rehab, I called it the B word because every group I was ever in, it always came back to balance. Balancing out this and that. Finding that medium. When do I act this way? When do I act the other way? There's different situations for all. And that's all part of the game. In quotes game. And I I realize how this can sound extremely overwhelming but the thing that I've really learned to do is find the enjoyment that the rest of my life I'm going to have to be working on all of these things all the time. Because I've spent time thinking about what if I didn't have to work it? What if I was perfect? Whatever that means, obviously we're not going to get into that. But what if I was perfect and had no issues and had nothing to work on in my life and I could just kick back and do nothing? That sounds great. But really, it isn't. It would be what's the point of living if everything was good to go? You didn't have to do anything. There'd be no point. You might as well just be a dog running around. When we, we can look at life as, wow, this is a process that I'm never going to come to an end of, it's awesome. It really is awesome. Think about if you had it all figured out. It wouldn't be any fun. So you have to look at it like this. Don't ever try to think you're going to reach an end because there is no end. Life is just a dance. And a dance is not about getting to the end of it. It's about the journey in between. Alan Watts always says, if music was about getting to the end of the song, the greatest composers would be the ones with the shortest songs. But life's just a song, and it's about from the beginning to the end of it. It's about the music. It's about the dance from the beginning of the end to the end. And this is how we have to start looking at life. And I believe when we really get this authentic voice, that's when love comes in. That's when healthier relationships start manifesting. 
that's when all of a sudden you see yourself going from thinking everything is a negative thing to all the things become more positive. So we have to stop worrying about other people. We have to stop worrying about what their faults are. We have to stop worrying about what they are doing. And we have to take all that attention and put it towards introspection. And that's when you will not only better the world, you will start seeing a better world. When you start finding the ways to apply the things you need to apply to your existence in order to improve your individuality, you will find everything in life transforming. The way you think about yourself, the way your relationships are, your general outlook on life, all of those things will transform. When you take the energy you spend worrying about everything else and you put it on, what do I need to change in me? And you end up creating your own culture. You end up creating your own point of view of existence. And there's nothing better than that. And that's why this slogan for Room 9 is, if you better yourself, you better the world. Because I came to a point in my life where I realized that the only way to change the universe is to work on myself. Find out the things that guide you to your authentic voice. And life will become just peachy. And when I say just peachy, it doesn't mean your shit goes away. It's just how you view your shit becomes totally different. All right. That's all I got for today. Thank you for listening to my my little rant here. I just really hope we can all stop with this. This way is right. Your way is wrong kind of thing. And put that energy into what really it needs to be put into. And that is if I start focusing on me and what I need to do and be receptive to, that is going to not only change myself, not only change my point of view, it's going to start influencing people around you as well. So other than that, guys, that's all I got. Room9podcast.com. Get on social media. Look up Room9podcast. Look up Room9. Tell me what you think of the solo episodes. Got awesome guests coming up. In the future here, I have the CEO and the associate CEO of Spectrum Health and Human Services episode. I got some other ones with Horizon Health employees. And I'm working on a few more episodes also with people who are in recovery because I feel like I kind of got away from that a little bit. Anyway, thank you for listening. I love you guys. Your support is incredible. There's been so much growth in Room 9 over this past year. It's truly humbling. It's truly surreal. And I'm so grateful and thankful for all you guys. All right. Much love. Talk to you later.